either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, with more and more theaters opening up now, we've got a couple major theater releases this week and a host of some VOD releases as well. And we'll break them down. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com. Let's start off with a story of H, a cold and mysterious character working at a cash truck company responsible for moving hundreds of millions of dollars around Los Angeles each week. He's on a mission of revenge in Wrath of Man. You were in an accident. You were shot. My son. He didn't make it. I need to know who killed my son. It's got to be an inside job, boss. May I introduce H? Who is this lunatic? It's very important that you take my inquiry seriously. Hey, you remember how bad I Am Wrath was? I Am Wrath, if anyone missed it, and you probably did, and you're better off for it, John Travolta Mm -hmm. and an incredible animal on his head. (laughs) Uh, It was actually filmed. It was set and filmed right here where we are in Columbus, Ohio. So I remember when it came out, we were very interested, and it was terrible. Oh, my God, so bad. terrible. Just awful. Just awful. This is more wrath, but it's not wrath of God. It's wrath of man, and specifically wrath of... Of Statham. That's right. And it is better than I Am Wrath. It is that. <laughs> it is better. <laughs> it is. It's uh, Jason Statham getting back with Guy Ritchie, mm-hmm. which on its face is a little exciting. Right. I see some possibilities there. Tol- yeah, totally agree with you. It's a revenge thriller, and it's set in L.A., not in London, where Ritchie's sort of crime capers generally are set. Uh, but other than that, it's got a couple of things that are that are similar to Guy Ritchie. Feel. So it's it's set in kind of an underground criminal element, but you have not just one sort of group of criminals, then there's a, a second pod of criminals, and there's a third pod of criminals, and there's always something to me in a lot of Guy Ritchie movies interesting about the, the kind of camaraderie and, and community that he builds of, like, wisecracking yeah. and interesting characters and quirks and eccentricities. Yeah, if you look just at the last one, The Gentleman, you had somebody like the Colin Farrell character, where he was this weird MMA coach, and so you had him, and then he had, you had his students, and just weird things like that was th- this guy is, makes an impression with just a little bit of screen time, and you don't have that here. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, you do have, you've got the criminal element, and you've got this one group of people that they don't introduce until later, and then you've got the Statham group of people, and then you've got the main group of characters. There's something about it that kind of structurally fits into the Guy Ritchie formula, but that's it. I mean, nothing. It's so flat. Yeah, and even right away, the opening few minutes when Jason Statham's character was in with this part of his cash truck team. As he's just training yeah, to join the yeah. team. Every it was so overwritten. They are all the characters are engaging in this unrealistic and forced banter that doesn't talk like anybody talks. And I remember thinking to myself, well there has to be a reason for this. We're gonna find out here why this is so overwritten. But no, it's just it's just made that way. And I don't know if it's because you mentioned this the locale moving from England to L.A. I don't know if that's part of it. Now, this is based on another, I think it's based on a novel that has already been made into a movie, a French movie called Cash Truck. Mm. So, but Guy Ritchie worked on the screenplay as well, along with directing. So, I don't know, maybe if that was him trying to inject his own take on L.A. sensibilities or something, I don't know, but it's not even close to the fun, witty banter that you would get in one of his 
English crime thrillers. Right. I mean, that's the thing. Whether you like Guy Ritchie films or you don't, he generally comes at it with a style that... And um, some humor. And so that's the thing. It's 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 flashy and it's stylized and it's quick cuts and it kind of jumps around in the timeline and the characters are all quirky and there's there's a bright snappy electric sense of humor yeah, throughout which yeah. is wildly lacking in this. There is it is just dour and humorless. Right. So that style is what you might expect from Guy Ritchie. You don't get it. And then what you expect from Jason Statham is a lot of fight choreography, a lot of fisticuffs, a lot of beating up. You don't get that either. Right. What is the point exactly? Yeah. I mean. I, you know, I, I'm not always a, a massive Guy Ritchie fan, and I'm not always a massive Jason Statham fan, but I have to say, I'm almost always willing to watch them, right? Yeah, they like, can be effective and very, entertaining. Even in bad movies, especially like Statham has made some bad movies, but I'm always in. And like, I'll watch and it. And he's so much better when you give him at least a little bit of humor to oh, work with. Yeah. This movie is totally Humorless. Yes, and and there's no fight choreography. It's nothing but shoot 'em ups. And right, so and, and what really, a waste. And they're nothing to write home about no, either. No, you're right. The action, the action choreography in this movie is pretty bland. Yeah. you know, beginning to end. And yeah, I mean, I feel like he's really wasted because it's not like there's acting involved here. He's just a stoic, oh, you know, hard edge. Right. Doesn't no no inflection. Okay, uh, and so so what is he there for? Well, to beat people up, right? No, just to sort of lazily shoot at people. Like, I don't, why do you have Statham in a movie if he's not going to be funny and he's not going to, there's no, there's no, you know, hand-to-hand combat yeah, at all. And it, Plus, there, he keeps his shirt on the whole time. <laughs> there are a lot of double crosses. It keeps you guessing, although you, you rooted out fairly early about who's the mole, who's working for whom, and everything like that. So, that's about the most interesting thing here, I guess, if you want to play along and find out who's really to blame for killing his son and and who's in on it the whole time. But other than that, yeah, there's it's humorless, it's not exciting, and there's really nothing that's, uh, that you might get excited about to hear these two are working together. You don't get paid off at all. No. At, at all. No. And it's just it's just very, very average crime thriller. And it is in theaters now. Guy Ritchie back with Jason Statham. Uh, Wrath of Man. Next up is another pairing that seems to have potential. When veteran comedy writer Charlie Burns meets New York street singer Emma Page, they form an unlikely yet hilarious and touching friendship that kicks the generation gap aside and redefines the meaning of love and trust. It's Billy Crystal and Tiffany Haddish in Here Today. Who are they? That's my family. If they're your family, why do you have their names written down? Charlie, you can't be alone anymore. If you ever need my help, I'm here. I'm writing something, and I have to finish before my words run out. I'll take care of him. May I ask what your relationship is? I don't know. I don't know. Do you live here? I'm his friend. But your dad needs you right now. I mean, this young woman is full of surprises. This is no time for jokes. It's the perfect time for jokes. <laughs> you funny, old man. Everybody needs somebody sometime. Everybody needs somebody sometime. I want to have fun. I want to laugh. I want to not be scared. And I want to write the book. And I want to do all of that with you. I was hopeful for this because, you know, I haven't seen Billy Crystal in a while, but he's he's got some great stuff behind him. I love Tiffany Haddish. I think she's hilarious. And I think she very rarely gets a film role right. that makes the most of, of her talent. Right. And this is one, much like the last movie, you see these two together. Okay, I could see an odd couple sort of uh, potential here, but it... Reading that synopsis, it says hilarious. Well, they must have watched a different movie because it is not <laughs> hilarious in any way. This is uh, co-written and directed, this is and co-starring Billy Crystal. It's the first movie he's directed since Forget Paris in '95. Uh, narrative. He did the baseball one, but 
Um, and it's there. Oh, it's so so disappointing because I'm with you. I like both these these two. Um, I think they can both be very funny. Obviously, Billy Crystal's had a long and distinguished career with a lot of highlights. This is not one of them. It has a hard time figuring out what it wants to be because early on, is it? It, it seems like is it going to be a slapstick? humor kind of thing where Tiffany Haddish eats some shellfish and her face swells up and then, oh, are you allergic to shellfish? I guess I am. Oh, is that what we're doing? Because that's not really funny. And then it goes away from that because uh, Billy Crystal's character, Charlie, has increasing problems with memory. And it's led him to be estranged from his his grown children a little bit as he's hiding that from them. And there's also some flashbacks about a traumatic event in, uh, involving his ex-wife from his past. So is it going to do the slapstick, or is it going to get into the feels with this character? Also, Crystal's direction, there's not an authentic thing about it. Even from phone conversations. You know, when someone's on the phone in a movie, of course, a lot of times they're not talking to anybody. And sometimes that's painfully obvious, yeah. like here. Just little things like that. It, there's nothing authentic about it. Um, Charlie, Billy Crystal's character, is a longtime comedy writer. He's currently working on a Saturday Night Live type of show. And as much knowledge about that sort of thing as Billy Crystal would have, there's no authenticity to those skits or anything like that either. Plus, the fact that his character is totally dismissive of the younger writer's brand of comedy really comes off as, to me, as it felt like Billy Crystal just wagging his finger at the younger comics going, you don't know what's funny. Because these characters don't seem real. Nothing about it seems real. It just seemed like a statement from Billy Crystal himself that really, to me, seemed like sour grapes. You know, there's something else that's going on in this movie that, you know, at at this point, I think this trope is so worn out and so obvious that it'd be nice if they finally abandon it. Spike Lee coined the term many years ago, magical Negro, where you've got a black character that just exists only to help the white character through their problems. And in some cases, the, the Green Mile, Beggar Vance, literally magical. But in other cases, it's just, you know, this completely selfless character who only exists to help this white character. And that's one of the many ways in which Tiffany Haddish is wasted in this film. Yeah, it is a shame because the, the relationship, it, it is sweet, I guess, and it's totally platonic, so we're not going to get ridiculous that way. But, uh, but you're right, because as they get to be closer and closer friends, and his condition is very clear to uh, Tiffany Haddish's character, Emma, then, yes, she ends up putting her own dreams and aspirations about singing on hold to, quote-unquote, magically help him heal his relationship with his adult children. And, yeah, that just jumps out at you. Like, wow, we're still doing this? Right. Are we still doing this? Now, it's based on a short story from co-director, from co-writer Alan Zwiebel, uh, which I haven't read, so I don't know anything about it, but uh, this this film version is just so misguided. And it's it's strangely not funny. The most it has is just a few smiles. <laughs> but as as funny as Billy Crystal has has been, and probably will be again, and same for Tiffany Haddish, and I'm with you. She she just, the vehicles that she's had, so many of them haven't, haven't been able to... Capitalize, capitalize on... Capitalize, right, because yeah. I think she can be very funny. And obviously, Billy Crystal is a legendary career, but this one, no. This is just a big, old, misguided, unfunny misfire, um, and it is out in theaters here today. Let's see if we can do better with a based-on-true-events story of the first conviction for murder of an FBI agent. This is above suspicion. I'm an important informant. Ain't nothing good gonna come with messing around with that federal cop. I'm pregnant. I have a job. I have a family. I don't want to see you anymore. Where? Let's go stage your boyfriend's house. No. You can't! 
you since somebody burned down my house. And that is just a warning. You wanted a better life so much that you thought you could just take mine. You didn't start this. You can stop it, though. Is there no way to treat your star witness? Yeah, there have been two books written about this case. And then it's it's also appeared on like a true crime TV series set in the 80s. A brand new two weeks on the job FBI agent moves to a small town in Kentucky to kind of take over the branch. Who knew the FBI had a branch in small town Kentucky <laughs> and convinces a, a woman who lives there to to turn informant for him. She is played by Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones mm-hmm. and uh, and she just she does she does a really good job Amelia Clark does of kind of embracing not just the time period and not just the accent but also the kind of headspace of this woman who dropped out of school in the 8th grade married her much older drug dealer mm. had a couple of kids was running welfare scam across a couple of states i mean not not a great person um, who still harbors dreams of, like, getting out, which mm-hmm. is, you know, by the time you've got two children and you're a felon, I mean, it's, you know, but she does. And she sees her her way out in this squeaky clean, good guy, right. federal agent. So there is something interesting, and he's played by Jack Houston, and very, uh, very sort of naive, you know, uh, green, but but all the good aspirations in the world, kind of a portrayal. And here's where I think the film, which is directed by Philip Noyce, gets into troubles, is that it can't, I think, decide who is to blame for what happened here. And it doesn't take a side. And yet it's still it's also not exactly like it's sort of uh, a sociological experiment. Like you're you're not far enough away to just be going, wow, this is what happens because of a blighted community uh, resources with no jobs. I don't know the reason for any of this, mm-hmm. except to kind of wallow in this lurid backstory. And the other thing that it opens with, this is always, always a clue. It opens with a voiceover of a character who's dead, who's telling you they're dead, mm-hmm. and then she's going to recount this story. Now, that almost never works. And on the rare occasion that it does... You're like, really? Wow, what an interesting... But this is one of those times where if that's really what we're getting is Susan, dead Susan's story, well, it would really be a lot more from her perspective, and he would really probably be less of a good guy in the end. And that's where I think the movie really falters, even if it would be very interesting if she was still like an unreliable narrator, Mm -hmm. and she makes him out to be the villain, but the movie leads you to wonder, well, is he really the villain? Like, that could be fascinating, but that's not what you get. You just don't get a perspective. Yeah, because not taking a side is fine if you want to leave it up to the audience, but by opening that way, you're taking a side. Exactly. Because this is her perspective. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's very, very uh, questionable way to tell the story. Mentioned a couple things. There's a Thora Birch sighting in this movie. Yes, there is. Wow. You're not going to know who it is either. You're going to, like, the end of the movie, you're going to go to IMDb and look at the credits. Who did she play? Because <laughs> she does not, yeah. But, but it's an interesting character. And how about Johnny Knoxville? Yeah, actually, that is the standout. I mean, I think, on the whole, the performances were solid. Johnny Knoxville really was the standout. I thought it was... It was yeah, a, he's the drug dealer husband. Yeah, he is. And he's he's intimidating and maybe not 
very bright, but certainly survival instinct smart in a certain way. Yeah, I thought his performance was very solid. Yeah, and that is the Based on True Events crime thriller, Above Suspicion. That's on Prime Video. Bargain, rental, $5.99. Let's do a horror mystery thriller set during a raging snowstorm. A drifter returns home to the blue-collar bar located in the remote Canadian town where he was born. When he offers to settle an old debt with a grizzled bartender by telling him a story, the night's events quickly spin into a dark tale of mistaken identities, double crosses, and shocking violence. It's the Oak Room. The fact is, I've been feeling very strange lately. I'm sensing a story coming on here, Gordy. Shit, I haven't even talked to him for two years. I used to see it. He used to always be hanging with the wrong guys. Uh-oh, and now I'm really worried that he's got himself involved in some really ugly shit. Listen up. It's my turn to tell a fucking story. Well, all this is going down. The killer is under the impression that the bar is empty. Storm like this, everything just slows down. He could be wrong, you could be wrong. Nobody's got a perfect fucking memory, right? There's a particular tone that I think Philip Noyce was trying to hit with Above Suspicion, which is sort of the hillbilly noir. The Oak Room manages it. It does. It's all, you know, basement bar rooms Mm -hmm. and, you know, oldies on vinyl. And (laughs) it's got a really great vibe about it that just feels boozy and dangerous. And you know what else? Since we have both tended bar in our past... Uh, where the one guy says bartenders tell stories and the other guy corrects him and says, no, bartenders listen. Uh-huh. That's, they listen to your crappy stories. <laughs> and, you know, it's such a funny thing because that is a that is there are a couple of very pivotal lines in this movie that are very specific to Tending Bar that I appreciated and, you know, that we could appreciate. <laughs> um, and and also, I mean, it's very smart. It's a really smart film. And it's a, it's really a, it's about. In a lot of ways, the power of storytelling, because it's, I mean, it's very well written in that, you know, this, this kid who comes back to town and he owes the bartender and somebody else who's very dangerous, a bunch of money, and he's going to get out of it by telling the story. I mean, that's kind of a ridiculous notion. And the story he tells involves another story. And then the whole thing kind of comes back. So there are certain phrases and, and ideas that repeat themselves throughout the course of this movie in really fascinating ways. And then there is kind of, uh, these jolts of violence out of nowhere and and the stories themselves keep you guessing as to what's going to happen. You know, it's very interesting. It gets off to a slow start. It feels its budget for a while where you just think, I, I'm tired of sitting here while these two people bicker, while just this bartender and this drifter have a conversation. It's too packed with backstory. It doesn't feel realistic. That That happens for too long, but... Just wait it out, because Mm -hmm. once the story starts, once the storytelling starts, I think that it really packs a lot of great ideas and images and themes into a very clever story. Yeah, and you're right. It seems like, especially recently, we've seen a few movies try to get that hillbilly noir tone and fail. Right. Uh, And this one does get it. Another bargain, $3.99 rental uh, on Prime Video. Check it out, The Oak Room. Let's go to the Shudder premiere for this week. Barry is a drug-addled, abusive bastard who, after yet another bender, is abducted by aliens. Barry takes a back seat as an alien visitor assumes control of his body. This is Fried Barry. What do I like about you, Barry? You don't say much. But you're a good listener. You're absolutely fucking right, you're not the father. You're a useless piece of shit. 
So what are you doing, young man? I need to catch you. Yeah! You did something bad. Kill someone. You're on a mission. You're more important than us. You have to save yourself. What is your name? Well, this movie is just flat out nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I know it made the festival circuit some time ago, and I think that's when we first started hearing about it for the people that, that saw it. It's, it's just crazy. And it's a lead performance that really he has very few lines, really. <laughs> but man, he looks the part. He does. Gary Green. And it's, a, it's an expansion of writer-director Ryan Kruger's short film from a number of years ago. Same, same name, Fried Berry. And the short film is kind of an experimental horror. It's really just one scene of Gary Green, Barry, having a, a, a really violent reaction to drugs. <laughs> And that's the mm-hmm. entire short film. Yeah. There's no dialogue whatsoever. It's interesting, for sure. You would think maybe tough to build an entire 90-minute narrative around. So it becomes really just this kind of man-child wandering through Cape Town. It's a South African film. Right. And so the same character, Barry, played by the same man, Gary Green, has a reaction to a, a drug episode and is... Abducted by aliens. Now, the thing that's, I think, interesting for a long time is that you don't know then, is he? Is he abducted by aliens? <laughs> or is he just really, really, really high? And I think that that goes a long way toward keeping the film interesting. And also, Kruger's directorial style. Very bold. You know, very a lot of wild, frenetic sort of situations as, as this now alien who's taken over Barry is just wandering through Cape Town trying to sort of soak in as much information as possible. Right. And if you follow that, if you go with the, with the uh, premise that he's abducted by an alien, then... It, it, it's funny because then the alien is trying to pick up on what to do, things to say. What do I say in this situation? Well, I picked it up from over here, so I'll say this. And it's the few spoken words of dialogue that he has. It's usually something of him trying to fit in to whatever situation he's in as he wanders around looking like a total hobo. And yet <laughs> every woman wants to have sex with him. And that goes from bad to worse for some of them. <laughs> It's really, you know, it is very interesting how much luck somebody who's not trying at all and and looks like a junkie and probably smells terrible has, (laughs) you know, late night in Cape Town. But if you, you you know, sort of suspend disbelief and go with it, it does take some really, really funny, wild, bizarre turns. It reminded me often of a movie called Bad Boy Bubby Mm -hmm. from a few years ago, actually from like the early 90s, which was the same kind of a man-child sort of let loose on the streets and just taking in information and making some bizarre choices. But I think it's also going to, it'll also remind people, I think of, you know, maybe Terry Gilliam or, or um, even like Penos Cosmatos who did Mandy a few years ago, uh, filmmakers who just know how to develop a frenetic drug fueled sort of yeah, a situation, sort of a sensory, sensory overload type yeah, of thing with yeah. the sound, maybe not dialogue, but sound and, and color yeah. uh, and what it, but yeah, it's, it's quite a ride. And it's the shutter premiere this week, fried berry. Got a mockumentary next. It's the paranormal comedy that follows a hopelessly millennial reporter on the most important assignment of his career, Bigfoot. It's called 15 Things You Didn't Know About Bigfoot, parentheses, number one will blow your mind. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to die because I trusted a Bigfoot hunter. We got to go straight up deliverance on your ass. 
You had the opportunity to turn around and go home, but you didn't do it. Leave it rolling. I said pick it up. This is our chance to show the world that Bigfoot hunters aren't just a bunch of scared crybaby loonies. Stay completely still. His vision's based on movement. His vision's normal. Ah, clickbait. <laughs> right. This is originally a movie that was originally, when it came out in festivals a couple of years ago, called The Vice Guide to Bigfoot. And I think changing the title, much like you just alluded to there, really tells you where it's going, what it's really trying to dig up here. But a, a mockumentary is something that can be tough to keep consistently in consistent in tone and also consistently funny. Right. And this does have troubles in doing both of those things, but it also gets its shots in. It really does, with some laugh-out-loud moments. And it's from a team, the uh, writing and uh, directing team, uh, co-writers in, of uh, Zach Lamplug, I think that's how you pronounce it, and Brian Emond. Zach does the directing, and they both co-star as well. And Brian stars as Brian, a reporter for this Vice-like online outlet, and he is sick of covering stories that he doesn't think are news, just clickbait. You know, and he, he thinks he can get a kick upstairs to a, an opening at the on the network side of the company, but he does, doesn't get it. That goes to Dirty Dollar Signs, who's <laughs> really funny. This uh, YouTube sort of guy, um, another reporter on the uh, staff, played by Tevin Williams, he's very funny. And his advice is to get in the shit, baby, if he <laughs> wants to get his name out there and get a network job with better stories. So the first chance to get in the shit is to go to the Bigfoot convention in Georgia and actually get on a hunt and try to seek out the possibility of a potential Bigfoot sighting. And they do that with this YouTube Bigfoot hunter that goes by the name of the Cryptid Commander, who's played by Jeffrey Stevenson, who's, of course, totally full of crap. And uh, Brian tries to get him to admit that as things go from bad to worse. And then the Blair Witch vibe that you're getting as they're out in the middle of the woods suddenly takes this hard left turn into a family that runs heroin and and, and drug smuggling and everything. So the tone is a little bit of a problem uh, through midway through it. But like you said, the clickbait, the fake news, the false flags, all that stuff that we see, the the hipster uh, viewpoint of what qualifies as news is is on their mind, and that's what they're trying to skewer here. And a lot of times they do it successfully. Um, and even when Brian is sent to some hot war zone, uh, he gets there and finds out he's really set to cover the emerging craft beer scene there. And so, <laughs> that's the kind of thing. And if you think, you know, lines like, did we find Bigfoot or we did the find the Bigfoot in ourselves? <laughs> that sort of mocking tone uh, is is where this movie goes. And uh, a lot of times, yeah, it's it's has its dry patches, but it also has its funny patches as well. And mockumentaries can be really rewarding if they're pulled off well. And this one, at least half the time or more, does pull it off. Yes, it's low budget and it feels it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a pretty decent job of making fun of the things that they're trying to make fun of just by putting that in there. The number one will blow your mind. It gives you a, a sense of what's on their mind. And it's 15 things you didn't know about Bigfoot. And it's pretty funny.
Next is an action comedy. Three kung fu prodigies have grown into washed-up, middle-aged men now one kick away from pulling their hamstrings. But when their master is murdered, they must juggle their dead-end jobs, dead duties, and old grudges to avenge his death. The Paper Tigers. I swear to always honor my Sifu, to be loyal to my brothers, and to defend the weak. This I promise as a disciple to the very day I die. This is from writer-director Kwok Bao Tran, and it was uh, a movie that made kind of a splash in the festival circuit about a year ago, and is now finally getting a release. And it's just a charmer. You know, I mean, there are some moments where you think to yourself, this really could have been cleaned up and streamlined a bit, I gotta admit. But on the whole, um, it's very fun to watch these three guys who, you know, when they were young, you know, they had they had the greatest master in Toronto who was teaching them the the, the martial arts skills. And then they all just kind of wandered away and became pretty middling, not very impressive <laughs> grownups. And, and they, they got to get the band back together. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And then, you know, it is funny to watch them think that they're going to show some people up and then wind up really just being out of shape and, um, <laughs> you know, as they sort of, you know, stumble their way back toward what they really love and everything. But the I think there's also the guy that they used to just routinely thump back in, the, in their youth. Well, he's grown up to be the protege of a rival master, and he's hilarious. And I kind of wish that they could have just stuck with that a little bit more as opposed to the actual murder mystery. I'm not sure how much that works out, and I think that, you know, they get a little sidetracked. Uh, with too much plot. But on the whole, it's charming and sweet and funny. Yeah, it's this is not a mockumentary. It's a straight-up comedy. But it has a little bit in common in in vibe with the Bigfoot movie and some of the things that it's uh, it's making fun of. Yeah. But, um, and maybe even if, you, if you're if you a fan of the rebooted Karate Kid, yeah. maybe, <laughs> maybe it's got the same <laughs> uh, same type of thing going on there. And this is uh, a six ninety nine rental on Prime, The Paper Tigers. Well, speaking of mockumentaries, we've got another one here. An over-enthusiastic youth pastor and his troop of misfit teens head to Bible camp. It's Youth Men. Guys, Rachel's going to be joining us for the summer. I'm kind of surprised even that Bethany Church would hire me considering pregnant. I'm, I'm not married, but I, I'm engaged. Oh. You don't. Camp change is in Vermont. It's in the middle of the woods. Who's ready for the next trip of their life? Kids. Hang out, and it's a lot of fun. What they don't tell you is that once a year, churches from all over New England get together at Camp Change to find out that Bethany Church is the best youth group in the world. There are a lot of ways you could take that storyline. Rachel Willis reviewed this one for us on MadWolf.com, and it's very funny, but it's good-natured. It's good-natured. It's lighthearted. Um, it's not super biting, but it is. it does feel like it's in the know. Like, the writers have some idea of what this is like. Jeff Ryan, who's the co-writer, co-director, and he plays Pastor Dan, so he's kind of jack-of-all-trades oh, with yeah. this one. Very committed, does a great job, you know, and, and the movie, as long as it, it's just like you were saying, as long as it sticks with that fun mockumentary tone, yeah. 
it does a great job. As soon as it steps away from that and tries to do something a little bit more serious, it loses you. You know, which is too bad because what it does well, it does very, very well. So it's another one that's, you know, a little bit hit or miss, but on the whole, very charming. Yeah, yeah, because mockumentaries, to keep it consistent throughout a feature-length film, of 90 minutes or so, it's it's tough. Yeah, to it, spinal tap it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the gold standard, the Christopher Guest things. Yeah, but just like the Bigfoot movie, this one does get its shots in. Yeah. And you can check out Rachel's full review for Youth Men at madwolf.com. Next, let's do a sci-fi thriller. A test subject at a memory transfer lab commits a crime he cannot remember. Cerebrum. Here is your ticket to eternity. In three, two, one. You start experiencing any side effects. Stop! Stop. I don't trust myself anymore. And you said that rage was a side effect of all this? You see this? This is your brain in digital form. I love a low-budget sci-fi movie. I like... I like when really good filmmakers rein in the budget and still figure out how to deliver a good sci-fi film. And this just about does that. Yeah, and this was reviewed at MadWolf.com by Brandon Thomas. And it reminded all of us of a movie from last year that I really enjoyed called Minor Premise. Right. Also, lower budget. Minor Premise is pretty much, is almost set in one room, really. But dealing with some of the same things, research, sci-fi research into memory and maybe curing Alzheimer's and things like that. So this one is not exactly the same, but it works on, on uh, similar themes. And uh, the writer, the co-writer and director just goes by the name of Arvi. <laughs> and um, Brandon found some things to like here. Yeah, he absolutely did. You know, I think that a lot of it was that the um, performances are very well done, and the the one performance, the lead, Christian James, he's got some complications that he has to contend with as an actor, and he does it really, really well. Yeah. And then James Russo, who just a veteran ca- uh, character actor, James Russo, he also does a great job in this. Yeah, for sure. And this is a real bargain on the Prime. You can get this for just a buck ninety nine. So if wow. you like the sci-fi thrillers, this could be uh, very easy to check out. Called Cerebrum, and you can check out Brandon's full review at MadWolf.com. And we'll wrap up with a historical drama. Devastated by the First World War and plunged into political controversy, Romania's every hope accompanies its queen on her mission to Paris to lobby for international recognition of its great unification at the 1919 peace talks. This is called Queen Marie. We've been Windsors for quite some time now. It's a new era for our family. Now the very future of Great Romania is at stake. Everyone is against us. England, France, the Americans. Do you have any ideas? Ce ne trebuie nouă, de fapt, e prințul. Du wirst dich endlich wie ein zukünftiger König benehmen. Regele să mai trimite pe cineva la Paris. Why don't I go to Paris? We promise to be king of a united Romania. Send by a word. 
Period costume dramas are tough to do, especially <laughs> if they deal with a lot of details that globally we may not really have enough backstory for. This starts off well enough. It looks great. It looks gorgeous. It's very elegant and, and you know, luxurious and very royal looking. But as it plods on, that, that tends to be really the only thing that it has going for it. It covers a lot of ground and not in a way that, that offers any depth or certainly any action. Yeah, it was reviewed for us at MadWolf.com by Christy Robb and the co-writer and director here, Alexis Cahill. And I think Christy hit it right on the head. If you like ornate, if you like beautifully costumed, you know, large casts in fantastic sets, you'll find something to like here. Other, other than that, as far as storytelling, especially if you're not steeped in Romanian history already, it's kind of dull. Yeah. But if you love the historical dramas, it might be up your alley. That's Queen Marie. All right, let's check out the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer. And, oh, we got some big news this morning concerning the Muppets and a certain haunted mansion. Yes, we do. Uh, sometime this Halloween season on Disney+, Plus, we'll be getting a brand-new Muppet holiday special. In this case, it'll be Muppet Haunted Mansion, where apparently Gonzo will have to spend the night in the popular attraction. Nice. If I didn't already have Disney+, Plus, I'd be getting it just for that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit of a Muppet fiend, so Muppets and horror just makes it a must-see for me. Sony has sold their live-action Cinderella movie to Amazon. Uh, it was previously set for a theatrical release this July, but now it'll premiere sometime on Amazon Prime later in the year. Similarly, Universal has sold their Tom Hanks sci-fi movie, Bios, to Apple TV+. Plus. They haven't set a date for that either, but they have retitled the movie Finch. That seems a bit of a lateral move, because I don't yeah. think either title was all that great. No. But hopefully the movie's good. <laughs> <laughs> no, neither one is any good. <laughs> the horror sequel, Dementia Part 2, will hit theaters in limited release on May 21st, followed by a VOD release on June 1st. Paramount's Mark Wahlberg action thriller, Infinite, is skipping theaters now, and it's going to head straight to Paramount Plus sometime in June. George A. Romero's previously lost 1973 thriller, The Amusement Park, will finally arrive on Shutter on June 8th. Yeah, I did see something about that. Yeah, that'll be very, very cool. And we've got uh, the 2020 Nightmares Film Festival selection, Meander, will hit limited release in VOD on July 9th. Cool. There's a neo-giallo slasher movie called The Last Matinee that will hit theaters on August 6th and then VOD on August 24th. Got a slight postponement with David Bruckner's The Night House. Disney previously had it set for July, but since summer's crowding up a bit, they've pushed it back to August 20th now. Not too is big that, of a move. Is that the one with Rebecca Hall? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, I've seen that, I've seen that trailer a couple times. It looked a little spooky. Yeah, looks pretty good. And then the other big news of the week is Paramount announced that beginning next year, they plan to debut a new movie on Paramount Plus every week. Now, I imagine... That will ultimately be a mix of Paramount Plus Originals and also their new theatrical films since they're doing that delayed 45-day premiere mm -hmm. after they show up on the big screen. But yeah. that's still a pretty big commitment. Yeah. Since a couple services have made the same promise, I'm hoping that means we end up seeing a wider variety of smaller movies getting made. Since Hollywood's kind of shied away from mid-budget fare for the past decade or so, so hopefully we can, we can just, just get a... 
nice uh, smorgasbord of different kinds of things yeah. instead of just blockbusters. Sounds like a plan. You can always catch up with the latest news. Follow The Schlocketeer uh, on Twitter, at The Schlocketeer. Thanks a lot. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, looking ahead to next week, we've got at least a couple of big ones opening in theaters. Woman in the Window. We've been waiting for that one for over a year. Yeah, and also the latest in the Saw franchise, I guess, Chris Rock's take called Spiral is coming. Yeah. Uh, I'm optimistic about that one. Mm, me too. Benny Loves You. It's another horror film. Benny Loves You too. <laughs> uh, in action. Goodbye, Honey, which we got a chance to see for Nightmares Film Festival last yeah, year. Very cool. Antidote. High Ground. Obi-Wan has the high ground. I think we've learned that, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> the the Gin. Killing of Two Lovers. And The Get Together. So will that be it, or will something else pop up? All those questions will be answered next time. But until then, let us know what you thought about anything this week, if you want to argue with us about Wrath of Man or here today, that's fine. We always keep the conversation going. You can find us on Twitter easily, at Mad Wolf. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website that we've already mentioned, where you can find all of the written reviews and our other fun stuff, including our horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. New episode just dropping, by the way. You can find all that at madwolf.com. So until next week, happy Mother's Day to all the moms, including you, Hope. Thank you so much. Enjoy the day. Enjoy the weekend. We'll talk again soon. And she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.